You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Peter F. Hamilton is the author of the Greg Mandel series, which includes Mind Star Rising, A Quantum Murder, and The Nanoflower, The Night's Dawn Trilogy, which includes The Reality Dysfunction, The Neutronium Alchemist, and The Naked God, Pandora's Star and Judas Unchained, both set in the Commonwealth Universe. His newest novel, the first in a trilogy, is The Dreaming Void, also set in the Commonwealth Universe. Welcome to the program, Peter. Thank you. Peter, the first thing I have to ask you is, what made you create the Commonwealth universe when you had a perfectly good confederation universe to work in? I think it's, it's always, I have this need to do something slightly different. When I was writing the Mandel book, um, I, I'd done three of them and they were, they were quite successful. And the, the company, the, the publisher would have, would have loved Greg Mandel, four, five, six, etc. But I felt that, that if I was going to progress at all, um, then I really needed to change quite considerably, actually. The change was more than I thought it was. So I, I don't want to spend too long on one subject. I don't want to become the, the author that just does the, the Commonwealth Universe or the Confederation Universe, uh, or indeed the Mandel Universe. I, I, I see this need to change every now and then to keep fresh, actually. One thing that interests me is just the naming of the two universes. The Confederation Universe suggests, to me at least, the Confederacy of the U.S. Civil War, kind of a right-wing racist regime, and the Commonwealth Universe suggests a more socialist idea. I'm wondering if that's if there's anything in those names for you when you just start out creating these things. Not to that extent, no. Um, I certainly didn't think of the, the American uh, Civil War era when I was doing that. I, I just desperately wanted to avoid the Federation as in Star Trek. The Commonwealth Universe, as you know, the British Empire, I don't know if the word evolved, probably we'll use, um, into, the, into the Commonwealth countries at the moment, which is, is sort of a fairly loose affiliation, which seemed almost appropriate uh, for, the, for the kind of society I was structuring there. So I, I, I use that word with that in mind, although it is actually a, a, a much tighter economic and social structure than, than the Commonwealth has, than our Commonwealth has down here. Um, but I, I don't think you should really read too much into, into titles of that nature. They're, they're convenient labels rather than anything else. I'm curious. One thing I really liked about the Night's Dawn books and about these Commonwealth books is you have a kind of a, a, an interest in including s- almost supernatural themes and, and themes of horror. I, I think your first story was published in Fear. Uh, how much does horror fiction play into your science fiction? Um, not very much, actually. I, I was never a great horror reader. The horror elements are, are, are a result of the themes that feature in the Night's Dawn trilogy. And yes, there is a, a very heavy supernatural element there. I enjoyed mixing it up with, with this very high-tech future that, that um, those, those books had with them. Same with the Commonwealth saga. We have the Silphen, which are are basically an elvish race. But again, they have a very high-tech background to them. Um, they've almost devolved from the kind of future we were racing to, which, which adds an interesting twist to the whole story, I felt. 
Uh, I've noticed in, in your books what I would call religion themes, not religious themes, because you seem to be interested in talking about religions. And I thought A Second Chance at Eden was a really powerful story, and I see some of the same themes popping up again in The Dreaming Void. Could you talk about your interest in religions? Um, religions per se, um, as you say, it's not what it's about. It's about the, the structure, the hierarchy of religion, um, which are very, very current affairs at the moment. The, the world does seem to be, be governed, well, not governed, but certainly influenced by various religious groups at the moment, all of whom have quite different agendas, and the rest of us do tend to get dragged along by this. That's why I do feature these kind of, of futuristic religions and cults and that kind of thing in the books. I think it's very relevant to today. Your new book starts out with Inigo arriving on, on a far distant planet, and I really like the way you worked in his dreams because his dreams have a plot that's very similar to your own writing. It's a really great way to uh, cut between some rather different scenarios. Yes, I, I enjoyed writing it. It's, it's quite, it was quite a different theme for me because it's, it's almost, as everyone has, who's read the book has pointed out, it's almost a fantasy novel in its own right, these sections. Um, they are very, very relevant, which will, will become apparent in Volume 2 and 3. But to start with, um, the connection is, is very tenuous, and it's, it's just an enjoyable difference um, for, for, for the reader and, and for the people who, who access these dreams and see this pastoral life. Although you, you don't, uh, certainly by the end of Volume 1, you don't know the real appeal and the real function of the void. That becomes apparent in Volume 2. You're noted for writing rather large books. <laughs> uh, a Second Chance at Eden, which is a short story in some ways, is a novel for the average human being. Could you tell me about when you set out to write, say, the Night's Dawn trilogy, did you, do you plot this out in advance? How much do you work out in advance and how much just comes off the top of your head? Um, I do a fair amount of plotting. Um... Typically, for for long series, it'll be between six to nine months of, of notes and character references and putting worlds together. I thought when I started writing Night's Dawn, I thought each book would be about the length of the nanoflower, which shows you how much attention I pay to all that plotting. But I, I do write out quite strict chapter outlines in that I know where the character starts at the beginning of the chapter and where they have to get to by the end. How they get there is up to me on the day, which enables me to have a structure, but it also enables me to, to keep the writing fresh. And it also accounts for, for why extra ideas creep in and why the book length creeps up so much. Your books have a really immersive feel to them. When we, the way you write, just at, at the prose level, really puts us in the place of your characters. I'm wondering how much of this... how. Uh, rigorous you are with revising and polishing your work or, and how much of this just comes right off the tip of your pen? Ah, good question. Um, the, the thing with, with, with revising and drafts these days, because I, I work on a word processor, the, the whole old concept of, of writing draft one and going through it and typing out draft two and draft three doesn't really apply anymore. I tend to, to draft as I go along, if you like. It, it's so much easier with word processing. So, um, I, if I work on a piece one day, I'll, I'll revise it the next day. Um, and then it, 
when, when I finish the book, I'll go through the whole thing again. So by the, by the time it gets to the publisher, um, it's as, as finished as I can make it. Um, it doesn't then get sent back too much for, for rewriting and redrafting. So I'd say it's, it's probably quite a different process to what it was 20 years ago. One thing that interests me about these, these really long sagas you write is you keep a really consistent tone and, and, and feel and pace through the whole thing. I, and I'm wondering how you achieve this when you're writing at such length. I, I mean, the Night's Dawn trilogy is, is what, almost 3,000 pages? That's a, a lot of writing to keep. It's, I think it came out at about 1.2 million words. Wow. It's a population of a large city. Keeping the tone, I'm not quite sure. It's just just the feel of the book. I'm always asked how, how which software I use to, to keep track of, of everybody and events, and I I rather sheepishly admit that it's the um, bits of paper scattered over the lounge floor program, where all my notes are just really shuffled together that way. So there's there's not a wholly logical approach to this. It's it's just instinct, I think. Your your books include a lot of really interesting science, and I thought I detected uh, some grace notes from uh, the most recent stellar discoveries of black holes in um, the Dreaming Void. Uh, how much reading do you do that's just pure science to, to keep yourself apace a, a with what's going on out there? simple answer to that is as much as I can. Um, there are so many fields of technology now that it, it's impossible to, to keep up to date on all of them. You, you were quite right in spotting that. Um, there was a, an article came out uh, a while back about how inf- they now believe information can leak out of a black hole, whereas before it was thought that nothing can get out. And that really kicked off the whole void concept for me. Um, you know, what? It's a very cosmological term, information. It's not, not as in computer data, but I, I just played around with that a bit. Um, and that, that was where the whole concept grew up from. So, yes, that, well, that was kicked off by a, by a very scientific paper. You, this, uh, your new set of books is a sequel to Pandora's Star and Judas Unchained. And, and I'm wondering, when you did this, you, you moved way forward in time. Uh, could you talk a little bit about why you chose to do that and, and what, what you're getting out of it? Yes, um, it, it helped me because I wanted this to show how the society had evolved. I'm very interested in the, the influence technology has on society, the way it helps shape it. Um, it seems almost to have taken over from the ideologies of, of the last century. We are more economically and industrially driven these days. So I just wanted to, to project that a lot further into the future and see, see how that would affect human beings at, at the most basic level. Um, which is how I came up with the, the advanced Commonwealth, if you like, of the latter book. And it has had a very profound effect on society. Um, it's, as I call it in the book, they have this inward migration through technologies. And you have the outer worlds, which are uh, advanced civilization, um, but their the economics are recognizable today. Then they, Once you've had, if you like, your playtime in those, you move into a more mature technology which provides you with your physical needs so you can develop your mind. And then from that, you go into the, the central world, Earth itself, uh, and just download yourself into a virtual universe at the end of it. And even that is then hoping to evolve into a post-physical status. So there's these onion layers, if you like, of, of society which humans go through. 
um, which I thought was a an interesting advancement, for, certainly from the the earlier books. That's one of the my favorite parts of this book is the way you deal with the the singularity, as it's often called, because uh, in a lot of books where the singularity plays a part, it, it takes over. And one of the things I like is that you have not let it take over. It's a part of the universe, but it doesn't become the whole universe, although it's very important. Yes, again, we're, we're almost back to this religion or ideological conviction that people have, which sadly is the, is the same as today, in that the singularity itself is, is being manipulated for the, the ideals of, of individuals. And this, this again, will, will, will start to come out, certainly by Volume 3, that the, the factions are, are all follow-my-leader organizations. It's, it's the one or two people that have the vision, the goal, the idea that they want to bring everyone else along behind them, whether the other people like it or not. And that, that again, is, is the, the source of conflict um, as much then as it is now. It's a really fascinating way to turn the singularity into a multiplicity of singularities, all battling for their own turf. <laughs> I found that really... To, to, and it also, in terms of just a creating a conspiracy-slash-crime-thriller scenario, it, it really is a great way to complicate that stuff. Well, it's a very human singularity, isn't it? The, the old concept of, of um, with power comes responsibility. But humans being humans, it hasn't quite worked out right. The, the, the higher culture that I've, I've created in this, which, which money is basically banished and you just, if you like, debate with each other for, for the amount of resources you can, you can have for your own pet project and pre- uh, lifestyle, it's, it's, it's an homage to Noé, the old Van Vogt um, stories, which I always enjoyed a lot. Uh, you know, in part, though, that was that was feeding into the into the higher culture. That 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 was something I wanted to talk to you about about the the influences in in your work because I I really did detect the A. Van Vogt. I I mean I remember when I was you know thirteen or fourteen reading the Weapon Shops of Isher and the World of Nolay. I mean that your work has the same effect for adults who are fully cognizant that Van Vogt did for for you know adolescents and also the other. Uh, influence I see a little bit in your work is uh, Philip K. Dick. Are, are, and I'm wondering, too, uh, what, do movies play any part in the way that you write your work? Um, not hugely. Um, some of the, the backgrounds, the landscapes of movies are very interesting. Movies, by, by their nature, are, are actually very short stories. Um, the themes are dealt with quickly. I mean, and, and no problem with that. It's, it's, it's the nature of the medium. Um, so I will, will allow the visuals to, to influence me or trigger ideas, but apart from that, not really. And I was never a huge Philip K. Dick reader. I've, I've read a few, but um, I came up the classic roots of, of Heinlein, Asimov, Clark, um, like that. One of the, the great features of your books are, are the action scenes and the, the planetary extraction scenes. Damn, I love those. They're so much fun. I, I'm wondering if you could talk about how you plot them out, map them out, and, and keep the prose transparent enough so that readers get completely lost and immersed in what's going on. Um, setup is the key uh, to this. If you almost, uh, when plotting, I, I almost work backwards. 
um, from from certain key points in the story. So that if if you have people in trouble, you work out uh, you know how to how to multiply the trouble, how to to put in other key factors into locking them. It it all goes from the one idea, uh, original idea. And then seeing how it, you can fit it into the main story, see how you can interact it with other parallel plot lines. As I say, it's, it's, a, it's a backward process. So how far along are you in the second book? Um, I've started, is all I'm going to admit to. I should be, um, should be handing it in New Year to Easter time. Well, that's great. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. We've been speaking with Peter F. Hamilton. He's the author of the Night's Dawn trilogy, and his new book is The Dreaming Void. Thank you for joining me, Peter. No problem. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you.